Thank you for downloading and listening to the Briam Bible Church Sunday Morning Podcast. Briam Bible Church is located in Shoreline, Washington, morning worship at 11, and many more events throughout the week. For more information, please visit our website at www.bereanshoreline.org. Uh, leading in worship today, and uh, I, know I, I know I speak for all of you how much I appreciate, and we appreciate uh, the ministry of music in our church, all the people that... Uh, volunteer their time and service and gifts and uh, that, that song we just sung was uh, it's an old Irish hymn a traditional Irish hymn that's been around for centuries and uh, yet today is still one that is, is sung so often and I said popular in a sense that all generations enjoy it we've sung some new songs today songs written in recent years it's good to have a full choir this morning and uh, see, and I think every Wednesday night our choir comes and, and practices. They race here from work and uh, spend their time in practice and ministry. Uh, music is a, is a very important part of, of who we are as a Christian family. You know, we go back to the Old Testament, and when God appointed the, uh, those to lead in the temple services, at the same time he appointed the, the Levites and the priests for the sacrificial offerings, he appointed singers and choir directors those, that was their full-time ministry in the nation of Israel to, to lead the music and the worship. And then as, as uh, Nehemiah restored the temple and brought those two choirs and they sang as they surrounded the city. And then throughout the ages of church history, choirs and music and hymns and songs and instrumentation has been such an important part of our time together to worship. So I want to thank you, Gary and Madeline and all those who helped today. And we don't take this for granted ever. Our songs this morning, have many of them, our thoughts have been about vision and seeing, and that's going to be our theme this morning as we turn to Mark chapter 8. Mark chapter 8, and we're going to be uh, thinking this morning about vision and sight. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your goodness to us again. Just a place to come to worship. It's been so good to lift our voices in song and to meditate on these words, to reflect, and to listen to uh, the ministry of music. And Lord, uh, it's just good for us to come and to worship you. You alone are worthy of our worship. I thank you for these people who have come today. I know they have very many things they could be doing today, but they've chosen to come to just set aside these uh, few minutes to reflect, to worship, to encourage one another, to share in your word. And I pray your blessing upon them and their lives this week. We pray now as our children meet that you will touch their hearts as well as they open their hearts to God's word through music and through lessons. And uh, we pray that uh, your word will be very, very much alive in their hearts. So bless our time around your word now. May we listen to it and consider it carefully. In Christ's name, amen. Yesterday in the paper there was an article about... um, uh, the, the, the major breakthroughs in science today in uh, the area of vision, of, um, you know, various, uh, I, I can't even, some of the words, I couldn't even repeat them, I forgot them already, the technology that's involved for people that uh, have uh, serious sight problems, that the, uh, the lenses and all the different things are able to do today that used to sound like the person said, they used to kind of be like science fiction, you know, that are now becoming a reality to allow people to see. And it was interesting as I read the article that talked about some of the stages of this, how 
they're at a stage now for some where they can see much better than they used to and they're looking forward to continued development to be able to see uh, much more. And it was interesting as I read that, thinking about our passage this morning in Mark chapter 8, and our, our passage this morning, we're really going to begin at verse 22. It's a short passage. We are studying the gospel of Mark together in Sunday school and also in the morning service. And so each Sunday morning, we'll bring a, a section of this particular context to you that fits with what we've been talking about. And that's why you also have in your bulletin the uh, question guides that you can take home and discuss and uh, consider uh, with your family uh, because everybody is, the same, is studying the same passages throughout all of our ministries on Sunday morning. So verse 22, they came to Bethsaida, not Bethesda, it's a different place, but Bethsaida, that is uh, Jesus and his disciples. They had been traveling over on the eastern side of the Sea of Galilee in the Decapolis area up to Tyre and Sidon, and they come now back to the northeast part of Galilee, and they come to Bethsaida. And some people brought a blind man and begged Jesus to touch him. He, as Jesus, took the blind man by the hand, led him outside the village. And when he had spit on the man's eyes and put his hands on him, Jesus asked, Do you see anything? He looked up and said, I see people. And they looked like trees walking around. Once more, Jesus put his hands on the man's eyes. Then his eyes were opened. His sight was restored. And he saw everything clearly. And Jesus sent him home saying, don't go into the village. And then Jesus and his disciples went on to the villages around Caesarea. Now this, if, if you spend any time in the Gospels at all, and if you've been studying with this up to this point, you certainly will notice there are some unusual things about this particular healing episode. It's, it is the most, I would say, the most unusual of all of them. It's the most unique because this is the only one that we see where we kind of have a two-stage healing. Up till now, all the healings that we have seen Jesus participate in have been one stage. Some of them, as we talked about in our Sunday school class, classes, some of them have been simply like a woman coming up from behind Jesus and touching his garment and power going out and he's healed. Others have been simply by his words. Uh, there have been different ways, but in every case, whether it was a word, a touch, that at, at, when, it, when the healing took place, it was completed. But this is the only one we have where there is a two-stage process. And of course, um, this raises some questions, you know, as you study this and look at the commentaries, and I'm sure as you even think about this, that raises the question, Why? Why? What's, what is it about? We have other, we'll have other healings of blind men who are healed instantaneously. Why a two-stage healing of this man who is blind? I want to suggest a couple of things to you, and um, you, I'm not going to be dogmatic about it because it doesn't tell us why in the passage, Okay. And, you know, our, our sort of rule of thumb when we, when we come to Scripture, uh, when the King James translation was, was first done back in 1611, they used the rule of thumb, if you will, when they translated it. And the rule of thumb was we will translate it as literal, uh, as possible, as free as necessary. 
And this is, this is the tradition we stand in, in the, in the evangelical Christian faith, that we, we take the Bible very seriously. We have a very, what we call a very high view of Scripture in our, in our church. Uh, we believe that, as the Bible uh, says, as, as, as the Apostle Paul and the Apostle Peter give us those important passages on inspiration, that all Scripture is God-breathed. It's the word for breath, the word for spirit, breath. Uh, inspiration is the same word in, in the Greek, and actually the Hebrew word covers that as well. All Scripture is breathed out from God, just as God breathed into Adam uh, the breath of life. That all Scripture is breathed out by God, and that it, it, we, we, we have the position in our doctrinal statement that it is, that is inerrant, it is without error in the original manuscripts, and that every word is what God intended us to have. We have a very high view of Scripture in our church. When we interpret Scripture, we also will look at it and, as, and as take it as literal as possible. That is why at our church we do believe that there is yet to come a literal tribulation time as prophesied in Revelation, a literal Messianic kingdom and a new heavens and a new earth. We also believe that Scripture, um, that there are places where we look at it and we understand there are figures of speech. You know, we've talked about this on Sunday night some, but of course when Jesus uh, said, before you cast out the speck in your brother's eye, take out the beam that is in your own eye. Well, we all know that people weren't literally walking around with logs and presto logs, you know, in their eyes, but it's a figure of speech, and they understood that. So when we come to this passage, here's the challenge. The challenge in this passage is, is there something in this passage, is there a reason why we have this two-stage healing that we can look at and say there is a bit of allegory or symbolism in this passage, or is it just simply that it, Jesus chose to do it in two stages? Now, normally, I'm going to be a little careful about going overboard on symbolism and allegory, but I am going to suggest to you, I think there is some significance in this two-stage healing of this man that came to Jesus at Bethsaida. A couple of details, we go back to verse 22. You notice that some people brought this blind man. And we see this where we have uh, people bringing, like the, when they let the man down through the roof, and, and it was their faith Jesus acknowledged, all of them. We see, we see people bringing the demon-possessed. We see them coming to Jesus in desperation. We saw in our class this morning the Syrophoenician woman bringing, bringing uh, her child and begging Jesus to, 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 to cast out the demon. And so we have again a case where some men bring this blind man to Jesus. And you'll notice in verse 22, they begged Jesus to touch him. Word has already gone out throughout Samaria, throughout Galilee, throughout the Decapolis, that, that this, this, this prophet, this man of God, that he can touch and, and people are healed. I mean, imagine that. Imagine if, if this were possible that, 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 that you could just be healed by this man just touching you. And especially in this age, in this era, where their understanding of, of medicine and the capabilities you know, that we have today are so far advanced, and, and the desperation of these people to come and, and just to be touched. And the message is spread like wildfire. This is a big deal. This is not a sideshow. And they beg Jesus. They beg him, will you please touch this man and restore his sight. And I want to suggest to you that, that possibly this man was not necessarily one who was born blind. You notice it doesn't say he was born blind or blind from birth. 
And you'll notice later on in the, in the, in the verse 25, his sight is restored. And so many of the commentators suggest that maybe this man was not born blind, but had gone blind. And, and, and so they bring him to Jesus and they beg him, would you please touch our friend? And they have to get through the crowds, you know, they have to get through all these people and, 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 and hope that Jesus could do this. And we see in verse 23 that Jesus takes the blind man. You'll notice this is kind of interesting. He takes him by the hand. So he does touch him. Now, we've already seen people just healed by his touch. I wonder when Jesus took his hand, if they thought he's going to do it. But he touches him by taking the man's hand. And he takes this man and he takes him outside the village. This is sort of um, a kind of a one-on-one. He takes this man away from the crowds. I don't know if they could get away from the crowds completely. I don't know if the disciples helped, you know, went on duty to kind of keep people away or what. But you do get the, the feeling that Jesus wanted to take this man aside by himself. It's a very personal encounter. And he, he takes this man, he takes him by the hand. He takes, and you know, we, we, I think you've been impressed if you've been looking at Mark with us, you've been impressed with the, this constant press, this constant drain on Jesus, this constant crowd of people everywhere. And yet, here's a case once again where Jesus takes time with this person. He takes time and he takes him aside by himself and he's going to address his need. And he takes him outside the village. And then, of course, it says, when he had spit on the man's eyes and put his hands on him. Now, in our context, culturally, to say that, you know, someone spit at you is not generally a positive thing, right? (laughs) I mean, I don't know about you, but... In our cultural context, in our cultural context, to be spit upon uh, is not something we would look forward to or, or take positively. But obviously, that is not the connotation here. And we, we saw in, in class also um, this morning that uh, you look at verse 33 of chapter 7. And incidentally, I want you to consider this and kind of hold this also in our context. In chapter 7, verse 33, after he took him aside, that is this, in this case, it's a, it's a man who, um, with a hearing problem, Jesus took aside away from the crowd, he put his fingers into the man's ears, and then he spit and touched the man's tongue. He looked up to heaven with a deep sigh, and he sighs in this Aramaic, and says, be open, and the man's ears were open, and his tongue were loosened, and he began to speak plainly. So in both these cases, you have Jesus using saliva, if you will, as part of the healing process. And it was suggested in our class this morning, I think it's true, that rather than an insult or something derogatory, in this culture and in this context, this is something very positive. It's it's, It's something very personal. It's something that transferring from Jesus to this person. And then we know in the, in the, in the context, this, is, this was understood this way. And so this, this, this saliva, and, and when he says he spit in his eyes, the idea could be like the other case where he spit on his hands and put the saliva on his eyes. We don't know for sure. But it was this transfer of a very personal act, something very personal from Jesus. He could have just spoken and said, be healed. He could have done that. But instead, he takes him aside. He does something with the saliva, and as our translations say, the spit. And he, and he puts his hands on, 
on the man. After, so he, he, he puts the spit on the man's eyes. He puts his hands on him. And then he says to him, and here's another unusual thing. You know, in other cases, Jesus says, be healed, and they're healed. But in this particular case, we almost see the emphasis here of Jesus as the great physician, uh, where, where, where he, he asks what, what your doctor might ask. You know, what do you see? How are you feeling? Tell me what you hear. You know, the, this, this question, Jesus acts like a, the great physician here. and says, what do you see now? He, he, he puts the saliva on the man's eyes. He looks at him. He says, what, what do you see? What are you seeing? And the man looks up and he says, I see people and they look like trees walking around. Now, right away, that kind of conjures up in our mind, almost, I mean, I'm not being facetious, or anything, but almost kind of a cartoon type picture, you know, of, of, of like trees going out walking around, right? And, um, but, I, but the language here is a little difficult. It's a little hard to really fully put together in the English. And one of the commentators, who was, who was pretty good in the Greek, suggests that what, what's going on here is this kind of myopia where, where, where he's, he's, he's seeing these things, but it's very vague. You know, the old saying, you can't see the, the forest through the trees, right? You could reverse that and say, you can't see the trees through the forest. You know, if you were driving over the pass today and you just look at the forests and the mountains, you see the forest. You don't see the individual trees, but you do. But the, and if you look and take, and take time and pay attention, then you can, of course, you see the trees. When you just look at a forest, it's this kind of vague trees you see. And this is kind of the idea in the Greek here, that what he's saying is, I, I see people, but it's this kind of vagueness that is sort of like trying to see trees in a forest. I see them walking around, but it's like a clump of trees that, that are not necessarily distinguishable. So obviously the healing hasn't fully taken place yet. And so then Jesus once more puts his hands on the man's eyes. And then his eyes were, were fully open. We have several words in this passage for open and seeing. It's not just one. It's really interesting. It's really quite profound in the Greek language that you have all these different words for seeing and opened that really force this, this understanding of what's going on here. And his sight was restored, and now he sees everything clearly. And then we're back to this question. Jesus says to him, don't go into the village. Don't go back to the village, which would, I think, sort of imply you go home. You go home. And now this is not a case where I asked you a few weeks ago uh, to consider this question and a few of you have gotten back to me and, and told me what you think. Um, how come sometimes Jesus tells uh, people, don't you tell anybody? And other times he tells the man cast out demons, go tell everybody. Um, we're not going to answer that this morning. That's why you came today. Um, sorry, <laughs> but you have to come back. Okay? Uh, I want you to keep that thought for a little bit here. Here's another case. Don't go back to the village. Don't go where you came from. Now, maybe this man had been begging in the village, like the other blind people that Jesus comes across who are, who are begging alms. Um, and uh, we, I don't know, but he just says, don't go back there. I think it's go home. Go home instead. And, uh, and you can imagine um, the amazement of everybody when this blind man comes home and he can see again. So why, I wish we, you know, if we, were in a, if we were in a classroom type setting, like in Sunday school this morning, I'd have you break up into groups of, you know, four or five or something maybe and really talk about this, or at least open it up for discussion. Why this two-stage healing process? 
Why, why? Why not just do like he does every other time and just heal the man? Even, even if it takes like the, the man with the hearing, the spittle and the touching him and so forth. Why this two-stage hearing or healing process? So I want to suggest to you that this is a case where whenever you're looking at Scripture and reading it, and when I say studying it, you know, the Bible says, you know, we, we study God's Word. We look at it. We don't, we don't study it as just an academic book, but we study it in a sense to, to really get to know what our God through His Word and to read it and to give serious consideration to it. That's the wonderful thing about God's Word and the wonderful thing about preaching and teaching is there's always something fresh. I mean, you know, I, I, I've been in the pastorate for many years now, and yet it's amazing. Every time I prepare to bring a message, and I, the fresh things that, that come to me that I think, wow, I didn't think about that before. You know, when do you get tired of this? You know, is <laughs> looking at God's Word. And so look at the context. So as you look at the context, I want you to back up just a little bit. And we, have, we don't have time to go into detail. We did this in Sunday school, but we've had two miracles of feeding the crowds, 5,000 and 4,000. And after, after, they, after the second time, when they gather up the bread once again, they gather the bread that was left over, and we, and we, and we saw this morning how that's this abundance that God provides, that they have all this bread left over. And, and when, then we see in verse 11, the Pharisees begin to question him, to test him, and Jesus is exasperated with them and tells them they're not going to get a sign. The disciples and Jesus get back in the boat, and they're crossing over in the water, back to northeast Galilee. And verse 14, the disciples had forgotten to bring bread, except for one loaf that they had with them in the boat. Well, they just had seven basketfuls of bread left over. Somehow when they got in the boat, uh, nobody thought to bring any bread except the old loaf that was there to start with, I guess, you know, that had been in the boat. And so they're discussing this about the bread, okay? Like, uh, how, James, why didn't you bring the bread? You know, Gary, what were you thinking? Why didn't you bring the bread? You know, Kevin, you could have brought the bread, right? You know, one of us could have thought about that. You got a bad throat today, by the way? You do. Okay, you're going to be okay next Sunday? All right, G Gary's preaching next Sunday, okay? So um, come in suspense to see if he's going to be okay, okay? <laughs> all right. So... So, so they're all, they get in the boat, and, they, and, and Jesus says to them, be careful. Be careful. Verse 15, watch out for the yeast of the Pharisees and that of Herod. The, the, Herod, the Herods, if you will. There's a, there's a party of leaders also from the Herodian family who see themselves as uh, Jews as well. Watch out for that. And then they discussed with each other, verse 16, did he say that because we were talking about the bread? Why did, why did you bring that up about the bread, you know? You know, why didn't you just keep your mouth shut? You know, we got a loaf here. And, uh, and, and Jesus says to them, he, he knows what they're saying. He says, why are you talking about having no bread? Verse 17, do you still, look at it. Do you still not see or understand? Are your hearts hardened? We've already seen in Mark where it says their, their hearts were hardened. It's not the same as like Pharaoh who aggressively hardened his heart against God, but there is this sense in which they're just not ready or willing to really grasp the, the deep thing that's going on here. Are your hearts hardened? Now look at verse 18. Do you have eyes but fail to see and ears but fail to hear? 
And don't you remember when I broke the five loaves for the 5,000, how many basketfuls you picked up? Twelve. And I broke the seven loaves for 4,000, how many you pick up? Seven. Do you still not understand? Listen, disciples, Peter, James, John, the rest of you. Do you have eyes, but you don't see? Do you have ears, but you can't hear? Don't you get it? And the very next story, if you will, or account, is the healing of the blind man in two stages. The miracle just before the feeding of the 4,000 is the miracle of the man who couldn't hear. He had ears, and he had a tongue, but his ears didn't work, so his speech was not good either. And they brought to him this man who couldn't hear, and Jesus restored his hearing. Do you have eyes you don't see? Do you have ears you don't hear? And then he restores this man's sight, but in two stages. You see, this theme of, of hearing and seeing, of having, having the tools, but not being able to use them, is one that is pervasive with God's people in the Old Testament and in the stories of the Gospels. We're going to see this over and over again with the Pharisees and scribes, but this time it's his own disciples. And we're going to see this. Let me read a couple of passages. I'm going to just look at a few. I, I should have put those on, on the overhead today or the, the video, but I, I got home just yesterday from Michigan, so I didn't do this. I apologize. Let me just read these to you. And I know some of you have your tablets and phones, so you can get there faster than I can anyway. Isaiah chapter 6, verse 9. Isaiah 6, verse 9, when Isaiah volunteers to go on, on duty for God, when God says, who's going to go for us? Isaiah says, here I am, send me. And he said, verse 9, Go and tell this people, be ever hearing but never understanding. Be ever seeing but never perceiving. Making the heart of this people callous. Make their ears dull and close their eyes. Otherwise they might see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts and turn and be healed. We've already seen this quoted in the Gospel of Mark. Isaiah chapter 29. In Isaiah chapter 29 and we have a section here, and I'll read from verse, I'll read from verse 10. Isaiah 29:10. The Lord has brought over you a deep sleep. He has sealed your eyes, the prophets. He has covered your heads, the seers. For you, this whole vision is nothing but words sealed in a scroll. This is Isaiah. The prophet Jeremiah. In, in, in Isaiah and then Jeremiah in chapter 5. And in verse 21, so I'm just showing you just a little smattering in the Old Testament of this theme. Hear this, you foolish and senseless people who have eyes but do not see, who have ears but do not hear. Should you not fear me, declares the Lord. Again, to their, his own people Israel, you have eyes but you don't see. You have ears but you don't hear. And then finally, Ezekiel chapter 12 and verse 2. In Ezekiel chapter 12 and verse 2, we have the same theme once again. Son of man, you are living among a rebellious people. They have eyes to see, but do not see, and ears to hear, but do not hear, for they are a rebellious people. And so this theme that in the Gospels, when we come to the Gospels and Jesus is responding to his own people and the Pharisees and scribes of all people who should have heard, who should have seen, and constantly, re and those who sit in Moses' seat constantly reject. 
and it's, it's fulfillment of this Old Testament prophecy and theme that, that you have ears, but you can't hear. You have eyes, but you can't see. And Jesus tells us, the Pharisees and scribes, when he comes to his own disciples, he comes to his own disciples, he says, I have chosen you. I have chosen you. And I've chosen to reveal to you. And, and he talks to them and they say, why do you talk to the people in parables? And Jesus says, I, I talk to them in parables because of Isaiah, but I'm telling you, and, and he reveals to them. And I want to suggest to you that possibly this two-stage miracle of, re, of restoring the sight to this blind man is a lesson for these disciples. You see, they had moved past they had moved past the Pharisees and scribes and the others. God has called them. They are learning. They, they, they are like the man seeing, they are beginning to see this, but they don't get it yet. They, how could they possibly understand who is with them? How could they possibly understand that this is actually God in flesh walking with them and talking with them? How could they possibly understand that? How could they possibly understand that he is the omnipotent, omniscient, all-present God who is in flesh with them? But they have come to him. They have, and, and Gary will talk about this next week, a real turning point as they, as they move toward this. And they, they are beginning to see. But listen, friends, they, they, they are like the man who's been, who's been recovered his sight, but the, but, but the, the, the Pharisees in most, most part are still blind. But they have begun to see, but they don't see it clearly yet. And I want to suggest to you that it is going to be after Easter, after Easter, when Jesus returns and he spends 40 days with them and he teaches them from the Old Testament and he explains fully what this was all about. And they leave that place. And we see in early Acts, them boldly, these men, these men who, who scattered and Peter who swore and cursed up and down, I've never met the man. And we see them in the book of Acts boldly going out with no regard for their lives and preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ to their fellow Jews, especially as they are sent in that early part of Acts. And we know that every one, of those, every one of those men gave their life literally, physically, was killed, martyred for Jesus Christ. What a change. What changed? What changed between these men who scattered when the Romans came to take him and was left to, to two Pharisees to take him off of the cross to Calvary? What changed in their lives? You see, I think this is, this is a, a prophetic miracle that they see, but it's not really clear yet. But they're seeing. But there will come a time well, they will see clearly and their eyes will be opened. And it's sandwiched in between this, these, these stories here of hearing and seeing. And, and I think as they look back, you know, Mark is written after the fact. The story's over. Mark writes his gospel. And the disciples, the apostles now get it and understand what they have seen. You know, this theme of spiritual blindness is not one that ended with the Gospels. This theme of spiritual blindness is one that is also pervasive throughout the Scriptures. And in closing, I'd like you to look at 2 Corinthians chapter, uh, chapter 4. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, is the Apostle Paul. I've referred to this section of Scripture already in our study of, of, of Acts. 
But in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, and in verse 3, a very, very well-known passage, 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 3, and the Apostle Paul says this, even if our gospel is veiled, and this is in reference to Moses coming down from the mountain and putting the veil over his, over his face when he's been with God, it is veiled or covered to those who are perishing. The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers. Now listen, that's very strong language. I understand that. I didn't write it. I'm reading it to you. It's very strong language. The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. This theme of spiritual blindness is not just an Old Testament prophetic and a gospel thing. This is, this is common. This is today. The Apostle Paul is writing to the Christian church, and he says these people in Corinth, real, live, breathing Christian, members of the church, the body of Christ, and he says to them, Listen, if we cover up our gospel, if we change our gospel, if we make it more palatable, if, 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 we, if, if, if we don't tell the truth about the gospel of Jesus Christ, if we veil it, if we cover it, we are covering it up to those who are perishing because the God of this world has blinded their eyes to the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is very serious. But look what he says in verse 5. We do not preach ourselves. Paul says, I'm not here to preach Paul. I'm not here to preach Timothy. I'm not here to preach Silas or Barnabas at this point. We are here to preach Jesus Christ as Lord. And ourselves, we're simply servants for Jesus' sake. Look at verse 6. For God, who said in Genesis, when he created the world, let light shine out of darkness, made his light made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. Listen, friends, you're here today. And when it comes to this, there's either one or the other. You are either one of those who can honestly say today, God has shined his light in my heart. It's not because I'm smarter, not because I was better, not because I grew up in church, not because I gave more money, not because I was baptized, not because I did anything, but because God shed his love by showing his gospel. And it may have been from a person. It may have been from the radio. It may have been in Sunday school or Awana or Pioneer Girls. It may have been your own working through this. And maybe like in the Gideons will be here and share with us about people that pick up a Gideon Bible and read it and come to Christ. However it's happened, God was active in your life and the Holy Spirit and opened your heart to the gospel and you received it. Yes, I, you know what? That, that tension of the work and, 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 the, and, the, and the necessary power of God to open your heart and your responsibility to receive it, they're both there. They're both there. If that is you today, and I know most of you here today, and I know that's true. If that is here, you have, this is a gift of God. It's the grace of God. We are what we are by the grace of God. 
And if that's who you are today, and that's who I am today, it is not because I'm a pastor, and it's not because I went to this church, it's because the grace of God, and the heart, my heart was opened, and I responded, that we have received, look what he says, you have, you have received God's light to shine in your hearts, to give you the light of the knowledge, think of this, to give you the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. You are the stage two of that blind man you see. Now, we're not perfect. We have our challenges. Look, he says in the next verse, we, but we have this treasure in jars of clay, not gold pots, but jars of clay that are fragile, that get cracked, that, that are difficult to maintain sometimes, that break. But that's who we are. You have received God's grace and God's gift. And I hope you're thankful this morning. I hope that no matter where you are in your walk with him, and don't ever, don't ever be intimidated. Don't ever, don't ever be intimidated. Don't, don't ever let anybody intimidate you. Say, well, I, you know, I'm only here in my journey, and that person's over there. Uh, you are on the journey. And that's what matters. Because God's light is sh- has shined in your heart, and you have come to know Christ the Savior, and you are forgiven. You're either forgiven or you're not forgiven. You're either forgiven or you're not forgiven. And if you are forgiven... And if you are on that journey, praise God and give God the glory and and, and worship Him and thank Him. And friend, if you haven't come to that point, if you have not come to that point, you might be like the Pharisees and scribes and your heart is just hard and you say, you know what, this is a bunch of garbage. Who cares? It doesn't matter. Your heart is hardened. Um, uh, We're going to continue to pray that God will open your heart. Maybe, maybe like that blind man, maybe you've had some insight. Maybe, you, maybe you're, you're questioning, maybe you're thinking, maybe you're moving and, 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 and people are talking to you and you're, and you're willing to open and consider. Uh, my prayer is today that, that you will see, that you will see, that God will open your eyes to the gospel of Jesus Christ and your heart would be open and God's light will shine in your heart to give you the light of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And for all of us here today, who honestly can say, we've, we, we understand that. We're not perfect, but we understand it. I want to remind you of Paul's, Paul's command to us. If we cover the gospel, it is covered to those who are perishing. The God of this world has blinded their eyes. He has given you and he's given me the privilege of being a light by how we live, how we love, how we act, how we speak, and how we live as those who have received God's light in this treasure of clay. Praise God, we know the rest of the story. We are after Easter. We're moving toward the Easter story in our study of Mark. But I want you to think about this, this lesson of the blind man and give thought to this this morning. Why? Why two stages in this healing? Is it possible that this is the lesson that God had for his disciples and that they would have grasped after Easter. Let's close our service in prayer. <clears throat> our Heavenly Father, we, uh, we, we have just sung to you that we surrender all. So you are a blessed Savior. And in our uh, uh, clay pot condition, uh, we know that there are cracks and there are challenges and uh, we would all like to be pots of gold and silver, but even the Apostle Paul said, we have this treasure in pots of clay, jars of clay. So we need your Holy Spirit 
and your power to go with us this week uh, to love, to pray, and to be patient, to speak your word clearly. And we begin first with our own family, our children and grandchildren, our loved ones, our neighbors, our friends, our co-workers, our schoolmates. Uh, Father, um, we pray that this week uh, we will be shining lights of the light that you have given to us. And we pray also, Lord, again, as we do each week, that, if, that nobody would leave this place today, at least uh, not knowing how much you love them. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. It's my prayer today if there be one person, Father, here today who honestly says, I I, I haven't received Christ as my Savior. I pray you would open their heart and they would in humbleness today acknowledge their need for salvation and come to you and receive your forgiveness for sins. They would come and talk with us. We can pray together. We leave this place with the joy of the Holy Spirit in our hearts and the love of God. And may we live that this week. In Christ our Savior's name we pray.